Chapter 22 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 22. You know that I did not find this man, this Hoskins, at Lancaster. By his direction I sought him in London, and, after some trouble, found him. He was busy in his own affairs, and it was difficult to get at him. But, by perseverance and asking him to dine with me at a coffee-house, I at last succeeded. He is a native of Ravenglass, a miserable town on the seashore of Cumberland, with which I am well acquainted, for it is not far from Dromore. He emigrated to America before I was born, and after various speculations is at last settled at Boston in some sort of trade, the exigences of which brought him over here, and he seized the opportunity to visit his family. There they were, still inhabiting the forlorn town of Ravenglass, their cottage still looking out on a dreary extent of sand, mud, and marsh, and the far mountains which would seem to invite the miserable dwellers of the flats to shelter themselves in their green recesses, but they invite in vain. Hoskins found his mother, a woman nearly a hundred years of age, alive, and a widowed sister living with her, surrounded by a dozen children of all ages. He passed two days with them, and naturally recurred to the changes that had taken place in the neighbourhood. He had at one time had dealings with the steward of Dromore, and had seen my father. When he emigrated, Sir Boyville had just married. Hoskins asked how it went on with him and his bride. It is our glorious fate to be in the mouths of the vulgar, so he heard the story of my mother's mysterious flight and in addition to this he was told of my boyish wanderings my search for my mother and my declaration that i would give two hundred pounds to any one through whose means i should discover her fate the words fell at first upon a heedless ear but the next morning it all at once struck him that he might gain the reward and he wrote to me and as i was described as a wanderer without a home he wrote also to my father when I saw him in town he seemed ashamed of the trouble I had taken. It is I who am to get the two hundred pounds, he said, not you. The chance was worth wasting a little breath, but you may not think the little I have to tell you worth your long journey. At length I brought him to the point. At one period, a good many years ago, he was a settler in New York, and by some chance he fell in with a man lately arrived from England who asked his advice as to obtaining employment. He had some little money, some few hundred pounds, but he did not wish to sink it in trade or the purchase of land, but to get some situation with a tolerable salary and keep his little capital at command. A strange way of using money and time in America. But such was the fancy of the stranger. He said he should not be easy unless he could draw out his money at any time and emigrate at an hour's notice. This man's name was Osborne. He was shrewd, ready-witted, and good-natured, but idle, and even unprincipled. He did me a good turn once, said Hoskins, which made me unwilling to do him a bad one. But you cannot injure him, I think, in America. He has risen in the world since the time I mention, and has an employment under our minister at Mexico. After all, he did not tell me much, and what I learned came out in long talks by degrees, during a journey or two we took together to the West. 
he had been a traveller a soldier in the east indies and unlucky everywhere and it had gone hard with him at one time in bengal but for the kindness of a friend he was a gentleman far above him in station who got him out of trouble and paid his passage to england and afterward when this gentleman returned himself to the island he found osborne in trouble again and again he assisted him in short sir it came out that if this gentleman osborne would never tell his name stood his friend it was not for nothing this time there was a lady to be carried off osborne swore he did not know who he thought it a runaway match but it turned out something worse for never did girl take on so for leaving her home with a lover i tell the story badly for i never got the rights of it it ended tragically the lady died was drowned as well as i could make out in some river you know how dangerous the streams are on our coast it was the naming cumberland and our estuaries that set me asking questions which frightened osborne when he found that i was a native of that part of the world he grew as mute as a fish and never a word more of lady or friend did i get from him except as i guessed he was well rewarded and sent over the water out of the way and he swore he believed that the gentleman was dead too it was no murder that he averred but a sad tragic accident that might look like one and he grew as white as a sheet if ever i tried to bring him to speak of it again it haunted his thoughts nevertheless and he would talk in his sleep and dream of being hanged and mutter about a grave dug in the sands and there being no parson and the dark breakers of the ocean and horses scampering away and the lady's wet hair nothing regular but such as often made me waken him for in wild nights such mutterings were no lullaby now sir whether the lady he spoke of were your lady mother is more than i can say but the time and place tally it is twelve years this summer since he came out and it had just happened for his heart and head were full of horrors and he feared every vessel from europe brought out a warrant to arrest him or the like he was a chicken-hearted fellow and i have known him hide himself for a week when a packet came from liverpool but he got courage as time went on when i saw him last he had forgotten all about it and when i jeered him about his terrors he laughed and said all was well and he should not care going to england for that the story was blown over and neither he nor his friend even so much as suspected this sir is my story and i don't think he ever told me any more or that i can remember anything else but such as i tell it i can swear to it there was a lady run off with and she died by fair means or foul before she quitted the coast and was buried as we might bury in the far west without bell or prayer-book and osborne does not know the name of the lady but the gentleman he knew though he has never heard since of him and believes him to be dead you best know whether my story is worth the two hundred pounds such sophia is the tale i heard such is the coarse hand and vulgar tongue that first touches the veil that conceals my mother's fate it is a strange story said lady cecile shuddering but on my life a true one cried neville as i will prove osborne is now at mexico i have inquired at the american consul's he is expected back to washington at the end of this summer in a few weeks i shall embark and see this man who now bears a creditable character and learn if there is any foundation for hoskins conjectures if there is and can i doubt it if my mother died as he says i shall learn the manner of her death and who is the murderer murderer 
echoed both his auditors. Yes, I cannot retract the word. Murderer in effect, if not indeed. Remember, I witnessed the act of violence which tore my mother from me. He who carried her away is, in all justice, an assassin, even if his hands be not imbrued with blood. Blood, did I say? Nay, none was shed. I know the spot. I have viewed the very scene. Our waste and desolate coast, the perilous deceitful rivers, in one of which she perished, the very night so tempestuous, the wild west wind bearing the tide with irresistible impetuosity up the estuaries, he seeking the solitary sands, perhaps some smuggling vessel lying in wait to carry her off unseen, unheard. To me it is as if I knew each act of the tragedy, and heard her last sigh beneath the waves breathed for me she was dragged out by these men buried without friend without decent rights her tomb the evil report her enemy raised above her her grave the sands of that dreary shore oh what wild what miserable thoughts are these this tale instead of alleviating my anxious doubts has taken the sleep out from my eyes images of death are forever passing before me i think of the murderer with a heart that pants with revenge and of my beloved mother with such pity such religious woe that i would spend my life on that shore seeking her remains so that at last i might shed my tears above them and bear them to a more sacred spot there is an easier way to gain both ends it is a sad but a wild and uncertain story remarked lady cecil and not sufficiently plain i think to take you away from us all across the atlantic a far slighter clue would take me so far replied gerard as well you know it is not for a traveller to egypt to measure miles with such timidity my dear sophie you would indeed think me mad if after devoting my life to one pursuit i were now to permit a voyage across the atlantic to stand between me and the slightest chance of having my doubts cleared up it is a voyage which thousands take every week for their interest or their pleasure i do much i think in postponing my journey till this man returns to washington at first i had thought of taking my passage on the instant and meeting him on his journey homeward from mexico but I might miss him. Yet I long to be on the spot in America, for if anything should happen to him, if he should die and his secret die with him, how forever after should I be stung by self-reproach? But there seems to me so little foundation, Lady Cecil began. Neville made an impatient gesture, exclaiming, Are you not unreasonable, Sophie? My father has made a complete convert of you. Elizabeth interposed and asked, you saw this man more than once who hoskins yes three times and he always told the same story he persisted in the main points that the scene of the carrying off of the lady was his native shore the coast of cumberland that the act immediately preceded osborne's arrival in america twelve years ago and that she died miserably the victim of her wretched lover he knew osborne immediately on his coming to new york when he was still suffering from the panic of such a tragedy dreading the arrival of every vessel from england at that time he concealed carefully from his new friend what he afterward in the overflow of his heart communicated so freely and in after times he reminded him how when an emissary of the police came from london to seek after some fraudulent defaulter 
he only hearing vaguely that there was search made for a criminal hid himself for several days that osborne was privy to was participator in a frightful tragedy which to my eyes bears the aspect of murder seems certain i do not i cannot doubt that my mother died then and there how the blood curdles to ask but i would compass the earth to learn to vindicate her name to avenge her death elizabeth felt gerard's hand tremble and grow cold he rose and led the way into the drawing-room while lady cecil whispered to her friend i am so very very sorry to go to america on such a story as this a story which if it bear any semblance to the truth had better be forever buried in oblivion dear elizabeth dissuade him i entreat you do you think mr neville so easy of persuasion or that he ought to be replied her companion certainly all that he has heard is vague coming as it does from a third and an interested person but his whole life he has been devoted to the exculpation of his mother and if he believes that this tale affords a clue to lead to discovery he is a son and the nature that stirs within him may gift him with a clearer vision and a truer instinct than we can pretend to who can say but that a mysterious yet powerful hand is at last held out to guide him to the completion of his task oh dear lady cecil there are secrets in the moral sentient world of which we know nothing such as brought hamlet's father before his eyes such as now may be stirring in your brother's heart revealing to him the truth almost without his own knowledge you are as mad as he said lady cecil peevishly i thought you a calm and reasonable being who would cooperate with me in weaning gerard from his wild fantasies and in reconciling him to the world as it is but you indulge in metaphysical sallies and sublime flights which my commonplace mind can only regard as a sort of intellectual will-o'-the-wisp you betray instead of assisting me peace be with mrs neville whether in her grave or in some obscure retreat she grieves over the follies of her youth she has been mourned for as never mother was mourned before but be reasonable dear elizabeth and aid me in putting a stop to gerard's insane career you can if you will he reveres you he would listen to you do not talk of mysterious hands and hamlet's ghost and all that is to carry us away to fairyland but of rational duties of life and the proper aim of a man to be useful to the living and not spend the best years of his life in dreams of the dead what can i say replied elizabeth you will be angry but i sympathize with mr neville and i cannot help saying though you scoff at me that i think that in all he is doing he is obeying the most sacred law of our nature exculpating the innocent and rendering duty to her who has a right living or dead to demand all his love well said lady cecil i have managed very ill i had meant to make you my ally and have failed i do not oppose gerard in sir boyville's open angry manner but it has been my endeavour throughout to mitigate his zeal and to change him from a wild sort of visionary into a man of this world he has talents he is the heir to large possessions his father would gladly assist any rational pursuit he might make a figure in his country he might be anything he pleased and instead of this all is wasted on the unhappy dead 
You do wrong to encourage him. Think of what I say, and use your influence in a more beneficial manner. During the following days, this sort of argument was several times renewed. Lady Cecil, who had heretofore opposed Neville covertly, with some show of sympathy, the fallacy of which he easily detected, and who had striven rather to lead him to forget than to argue against his views, now openly opposed his voyage to America. Gerard heard in silence. He would not reply. Nothing she said carried the slightest weight with him, and he had long been accustomed to opposition and to take his own way in spite of it. He was satisfied to do so now without making an effort to convince her. Yet he was hurt and turned gladly to Elizabeth for consolation. Her avowed and warm approval, her anxious sympathy, the certainty she expressed that in the end he would succeed, and that his enthusiasm and zeal were implanted in his heart for the express purpose of his mother's vindication, and that he would fail in every higher duty if he now held back, all this echoed so faithfully his own thoughts that she already appeared a portion of his existence that he could never part from the dear and promised reward of all his exertions in the ardour of her sympathy elizabeth wrote to faulkner she had before written to tell him that she had seen again her friend of marseilles she wrote trembling fearful of being recalled home for she remembered the mysterious shrinking of her father from the name of neville his replies however only spoke of a short journey he was making and a delay in his own joining her now again she wrote to speak of neville's filial piety his mother's death her alleged dishonour his sufferings and heroism she dilated on this subject with fond approval, and expressed her wishes for his success in warm and eager terms. For many days she had no reply. A letter came at last. It was short. It besought her instantly to return. This is the last act of duty, of affection, I shall ever ask, Faulkner wrote. Comply without demurring. Come at once. Come and hear the fatal secret that will divide us forever. Come i ask but for a day the eternal future you may you will pass with your new friends had the writing not been firm and clear such words it seemed to portend a benefactor's death wondering struck by fear inexpressibly anxious to comply with his wishes pale and trembling she besought lady cecil to arrange for her instant return gerard heard with sorrow but without surprise he knew if her father demanded her presence her first act would be obedience but he grieved to see her suffer and he began also to wonder by what strange coincidence they should both be doomed to sorrow through the disasters of their parents End of chapter twenty two